I am normally quite a nervous flyer, like not the worst and it's not paralyzing, but it is noticeable to me, certainly, and it's probably noticeable to whatever unfortunate person gets seated next to me, like every time I clutch the armrest during like the smallest bit of turbulence. I usually can eventually relax, but if the captain unexpectedly announces, and I never expect it, that we should fasten our seatbelts mid-flight, or God forbid that the flight attendants should take their seats and fasten their seatbelts, I can feel the tension vibrating in me. My eyes kind of dart around a little bit and the regular airplane silence seems too silent, like ominous, and being the kind of person I am, I start to think, what kind of kind, loving thing could I say to the stranger in the seat next to me as we plunge toward the earth? You know, like a last sign of grace to them on earth, but I know that I'm much more likely to just like scream vulgarities the whole way down. That's what I'm normally like on a flight. In May of this year, I got back onto a plane for the first time since early 2020. I settled into my window seat and I, I looked out onto the runway. Our plane queued up and taxied and as we started down the runway picking up speed, all I felt was glee. <laughs> this is truly what I was thinking. I kept thinking, we're leaving the earth. We're leaving the earth. Like I, I felt, I, I heard the, the wheels pick up. Are the wheels off the ground now? Yes, th there they go. And we were, we were up, up. And even during that first dizzying, banking turn out of O'Hare, I had to work to keep the grin off my face, an expression that I'm sure would have also been troubling to my seatmate. I even checked in with my normal anxious flyer self. Wouldn't it be ironic if this is the flight you're on that crashes? Yeah, I told myself, it's statistically so unlikely and I went back to my low-key glee. Listen, I've gotta tell you that I really regret choosing to preach about Noah again. Um, but by the time I realized it, that there were maybe other stories that served my purpose better, other things were in place. Like I've been wanting to sing The Great Storm Is Over Here. It's a song of a lot, with a lot of memories for me and, and hopefulness and I, I like the idea of singing that the great storm is over alongside and in between that interminable end of the ark story. Like it rains for 40 days and then the flood continues for 150 days and then the mountaintops appear and that's at the end of like another 40 days. There's some ancient editing that makes the math kind of fuzzy and, and then Noah sends out a raven and then a, a dove and then after seven more days, the dove again or I don't know, maybe it's a different dove, like who knows? And then seven days later, the dove again and I hoped that every time we came back to singing The Great Storm Is Over, you might wonder, how many times are we gonna sing this? Or maybe even, is this great storm over yet or what? And if you did feel that, I want to say it worked. <laughs> but I still regret choosing Noah to preach on. I still think there are other stories that do the thing that I wanted to do in this sermon. I mean, I most like to preach on texts that raise real questions for me, real human questions. I certainly like that more than preaching ancient or origin stories that come for me with a whole bunch of caveats and, and layers of interpretation because no, I don't believe that it happened literally and yes, I think it has something to teach us, but like blah, blah, blah. Here we are in the boat and we've been shut up in here for 190 or 230 days or then like if you add all the stuff with the birds, like call it 244 days. We're in a mythical boat 
having survived an epic flood, like a mythically, universally mythic flood that every peoples have some version of, and then there's all this like corny preacherly imagination about what do you think it smelled like on the boat after all that time? But who cares? Because a mythical boat doesn't smell like anything. A mythical boat smells like ancient people trying to make sense of the world, okay? And we, we are modern people trying to make sense of the world. We have just survived an epic ourselves that there was nothing mythical about, what with all the grief and job loss and disruption and trauma and all the actual death and the loss that's still going on in the world around us. And here we are in a boat. Call it like 453 days since the first day of shutdown. Are we there yet? Every once in a while, with some regularity, my therapist asks me to consider that I am exactly where I am supposed to be. And I reject this question entirely. Like, how can that be? How can it be that I, at age 45, am still having these issues, asking these questions? How can I be so behind? Shouldn't I be farther along? This week, I learned that there's a phrase in psychology for this feeling, off time. I'm off time. What? I yelled at the person who told me. I am behind? Like, why didn't my therapist tell me that? No, 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 he said. It's more like, um, it's more like people thinking that they're off track. That's, that's off time. Like, the feeling that I'm behind is based on an underlying belief that there is a timeline that really exists, and I'm not tracking with everyone else. Sometimes, I also found out this week, to call something an, an off-time life event, it just means it's not when anyone would expect it. Like the unexpected joy of getting married when you're 90, or the unexpected tragedy of a child's death. Those aren't typical, statistically. So to call something off-time in that way, it's um, just a value-neutral description. The problem starts when a person, let's say, for example, me, thinks that they're off time because they're not statistically typical, when they think they're behind, when their therapist says, what if you are exactly where you're supposed to be? And they think, no, which is an off time response for a 45 year old to have. <laughs> and there's some debate, it turns out, about how useful all this off time stuff is. There's some debate basically about how true it is. It's a framework. It's trying to get at something in our human experience, make meaning a framework trying to describe a social clock instead of a biological one, like a framework trying to describe the feeling of being off track or where that feeling comes from. The feeling of asking, am I there yet? When the answer is, where do you think you're going? Normally I hate waiting. It's one of the reasons, it's one of the lesser reasons that I'm late for everything. I'd rather dash through the airport as they page me than sit at the gate for two hours. On the other hand, on the rare occasion that I get to the airport at a time that many people might consider on time, when I have time to breathe and get a coffee even if the line is really long, time to fill my water bottle and read at the gate, I'll admit it, okay, it's relaxing, it's a nice way to live. I know that I am exactly where I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing, not off track, not off time. Apparently, by the way, there's a, another category in this whole social clock discussion besides off time and on time, there's out of time. 
Like if you have a life-threatening diagnosis and everything else in your life stops while you receive treatment and try to get well, that's, that's out of time. I don't know if it technically fits the description, but I imagine that like if you're taking care of a very young baby, you're, you're probably out of time. You're only focused on survival and like sleep. I think obviously we've been out of time these 453 days, let's call it. Out of time in this stupid boat when the answer to are we there yet was there's nowhere to go and also who knows how long it will take us to get there and also I don't know maybe if other people would start wearing masks and taking it seriously boredom and anger and fear and uncertainty and yes the knowledge that stuck at home was exactly where we were supposed to do be doing more or less what we were supposed to be doing and then after like 90 days some of the parks open the great storm is over and then after another 60 days we could gather here on the lawn for music Great storm is over, but then after another 50 days and the numbers got bad and we were supposed to have Thanksgiving alone, like how many times are we gonna sing this song? And then the snow and ice increased greatly on the earth and the temperatures dropped so mightily that we couldn't meet for coffee outside anymore. Alleluia, the great storm is over. Now, now the great storm really is over. Now it really is and we don't have to sing that song anymore ever again. We just sit around in the boat together and look out the window and wonder if this time the dove will come back because like, is, is it over? Is it over? We stopped the reading, like, and thank God we stopped the reading eventually, but we stopped the reading before we got to the rainbow, before the inhabitants of the ark stumble out on cramped legs onto dry ground, grateful. We also stopped before the next part of the story, when Noah's family is supposed to start humanity all over again. They plant the first orchard, hooray! And then things immediately go back downhill again, like so far downhill and so fast that you have reason to wonder right away why God saved these people, even if it's a myth. Like, these are the ones who are gonna save the planet? These are the ones who are gonna start over and get it right this time? Like, demonstrably not right away. And here we are uncurling our legs from our cramped seats and waiting for the people and the rows ahead of us to deplane and stepping back out into the world, blinking at the bright light and, and smelling the fresh air. And we are charged with not going back to the way things were to like at the very least funding research to like prevent more pandemics so we don't have to go through this again. Not to mention all the very serious issues that we have not yet resolved as a species. We have in so many ways been out of time and, and time is what we're stepping back into. And here, here at least, I'm in at Bethany, in very, in very practical, non-mythological ways, here at least, we have each other, like for this moment, and for all the ones that'll come after this. Normally when I'm on a plane and the captain unexpectedly asks us mid-flight to fasten our seatbelts, I look at the flight attendants and if the captain asks them to sit down, God forbid, I try to like catch a glimpse of their faces as they go down the aisle. And I know, I know flight attendants have been trained to look cool and collective, but if they look cool and collected, that helps me. And, and training or not, they also do know a lot more about it. Like I trust them, they've been on so many more flights than me and I can regulate my own response based on what I see of their behavior. And I, and I found this to be true in a number of smaller, more personal catastrophes or potential catastrophes. 
I have found that I can study people who have been in the place that I'm at on my path. I can look and see at the most basic level that they survived. They survived the breakup or the infidelity or the addiction. I can look at them and see when something's not quite as catastrophic as I might imagine. Like it felt like a crash to me, but it turns out it was a bump. I can look at other people and consider what if, what if in order to get where they are, at this moment, I am exactly where I need to be, doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Here in this community, in a very practical, non-mythological way, we have a convergence of paths, a place from which we can witness many other life paths with, with a variety of timing and timelines and choices and strengths and griefs. Here we have a moment, like right now, when we can look at each other, blinking in the light of day, we can share the anger and the uncertainty and, and hope and we can remind each other, I've been where you are and maybe there's nowhere else you're supposed to be and we can sit with each other in the waiting and know that in this moment, after whatever great storms are over and before whatever other great storms are coming, we might even be able to experience some low-key glee. Another reason I'm late for everything is that in my experience, everything takes a lot longer than expected. I will, I'm sorry, basically never be on time. And I will never be caught up with where I think I'm supposed to be. And in the meantime, I am so glad to be in this place and this moment with you in part because I'm hoping you can help me on my path and that I can help you on yours.